Change the way your business banks with a local team focused on your vision. At Truist Commercial, we roll up our sleeves to put our industry and strategic business advice to work for you. Learn more at Truist.com. That's T-R-U-I-S-T dot Hear that? That's the sound of a patient whose health data is protected from a cyber attack. And that... That's the sound of a financial system that's digitally secured from bad actors. Right now, there's an invisible war being fought on a digital battlefield that impacts what we do every day. That's why at Paraton, we do the can't be done to help protect the vital systems we rely on. Because if we don't, the alternative is unimaginable. Paraton. How did we become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. The following program is intended for immature audiences only. Coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, you're going online with Bill Alexander. Good day, everyone. Yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and you're online with Bill Alexander. Here on WMCK.FM and also on Fayette TV Channel 77 as we broadcast from high atop High Street from the Phil G&A Motors studio. If you're looking for a quality pre-owned vehicle, give Chip a call at 724-785-6800 or stop by his website, philgnamotors.com. Well, yours truly back in the studio. We had uh, some time off for a vacation as we just got back from the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And I uh, hope you didn't miss me too much, but we are back and we're back in the broadcast chair. Tonight's one of those programs that uh, is a secret vice of mine. The reason is, and I, and I think some of you that listen to my music program here on WMCK know this, that I am an avid thrift shopper especially my new vinyl collection of albums that I've bought over the last year that I actually highlight on the program Bill's Favorite Music. And I just have three here in front of me right now that uh, I just picked up the other day. uh, Remembering the Greats Volume 2, Edie and Steve, It's Us Again, and then Music for Everyone by Serta Benz. Yes, you can only find these great classics at thrift stores, not to mention the Audio Technica turntable i have sitting here in my studio that also came from a thrift store that i got for under ten dollars which was a great steal but anyhow enough of me talking about my thrift store finds the gentleman i have on a program tonight is named matt lehman matt is actually owns a thrift store and he has a podcast now called the completely mental misadventures of a thrift store which to me sounds like a wonderful idea for a podcast He quit his job as a bartender and opened his own thrift store. So on the phone right now, let's say hello to Matt. Matt, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm doing real good. And as you can tell, I'm a thrift shopper. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time now because I go to flea markets, yard sales, thrift stores, auctions, whatever it is. 
and I bring this stuff home that drives my wife crazy. But interesting thing is, I got her addicted to it now, so it's not too bad. Right. Well, it, it, first of all, if you got an Audio Technica turntable for ten bucks at a thrift store, you're doing all right at the thrifting or thrift store game because that is a steal and a half. I mean, that is they might as well have just given it to you. Well, to be honest with you, the price tag still on here. It was seven ninety nine, but um, oh, the, <laughs> but the thing is, and I use it for my program that I produce here on WMCK also. But the interesting thing about it is, when it comes to vinyl and turntables, I've always had a large large collection of it, and I put everything away for about ten years, and then uh, recently someone came up to me, actually a friend of my son's and said that they were recently at a thrift store and they found some great vinyl. I said, you know what? I have that same vinyl in my collection. And we started talking about it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to start digging my stuff out. Pulled my turntable up. Then I found this one. And I didn't realize what I had. And now it became an addiction again. Because when you can buy some of this stuff that they never put on CD or even on cassette, this is great music that no one realizes is still out there. Well, that, that's that's actually very interesting because the name of my shop is Finders Thrift and Vinyl. I'm actually the largest record store in my area, in the Coachella Valley. Um, if your listeners are young or old, they probably heard of the Coachella Music Festival, which happens every year. I'm about three miles from there. Okay. But I have I have roughly 10,000 records in my shop, from 45s to 33s, and I carry some 78s, but not a whole lot. But vinyl is actually about 85% of my business, um, and that's what mostly what I survive on. Uh, but I, serve, I I do well with other things. I'm, I'm kind of a tourist destination. I've become that way because I have a weird museum that has like a trunk head and a prehistoric bone, and we could talk about that well, later. But I, I, I thought that was made a huge resurgence. I thought that was interesting that you had shrunken heads. I mean, how do you get into the shrunken head business? <laughs> so, Are you your own witch I, again, doctor? I, no, again, I well, we haven't we haven't talked about it yet. But uh, people that know my shop, most of my merchandise comes from uh, I buy and sell storage units, like you see on Storage Wars okay. and the other TV shows. Um, I've done that off and on for about twenty years. Um, I started it with in ninety seven or ninety eight when I was living in Phoenix, and this was just about the time eBay was in its infancy. If if anybody knows reselling and knows eBay at that time eBay, if you sold something on eBay, somebody, the buyer had to send you a check or a money order. You had to wait for the check to arrive in the mail. Then you had to cash it, wait for it to, to clear, and then you'd send the item out. And then once they got the item, you could actually take the money out of your PayPal account. It was right. insane. It, but, at the, but at the time, that was so innovative, and it was life-changing for me because you're like, I can now follow my passion. I, I love going to garage sales and estate sales swap meets whatever and just picking up junk and but now you're telling me that i can actually make money while i'm doing it so i always did that off and on um but never didn't really do it seriously till maybe eight years ago what i think is interesting and i forgot about that because back at that time i um when i found ebay i didn't realize what people were selling and that's when i started getting back into vinyl again because i used to be an old radio disc jockey years ago and Whenever you would get demo stuff and that, you'd take it home or what the station didn't want you to take. So I had a decent collection from that. But I have a very large collection of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin and a little bit of Sammy Davis. Well, it's like I found this whole world of stuff that I couldn't get in my area I could now find on eBay. 
and it was so cool. Yeah, I sure. mean, the money I spent on eBay in those beginning years was just a small fortune. And, and now I also realize a store like yours that sells vinyl is that you're going to find it there just by walking off the street and getting that old sensation of going through and flipping through the stacks to see what you get and seeing how lucky you can be on that any given day. Because eBay, you go in, you type it, it's there, it's no it's no fun. Going into a store like yours, it actually is fun because you don't know what you're going to come home with. Exactly. Um, and but I'm going to dispel, hopefully I'll dispel some myths and rumors for you. And one of them is a lot of those bigger... Um, uh, a lot of those bigger thrift stores now have online commerce. Mm-hmm. And one of one of my old employees actually worked at Goodwill. I think if I can say their name. Yeah, I you can. Care, but, um, and they were told at, at the end of his career there, they were told that their online was going up. And anytime that they got a donation that they thought or considered it to be interesting, they put it back on the truck and it went to one of their hubs. Right. And so their hubs would put it online. So a lot of the times I hear this quite a bit because reselling has become a massive industry in the last four or five years. I mean, you've got Mercari, you've got LetGo, you've got OfferUp, Craigslist, eBay, Etsy. All of these places are allowing people to resell. So it has become a huge, huge market, and and the thrift stores have caught on to that, and they're trying to make as much money as possible. And you can't blame them for trying to profit more than possible or as much as possible for their charities. But... With that, a lot of those thrift stores uh, ha- also have buyers. Um, and so I don't even really go to thrift stores a whole lot for records. Fortunately for me, since I've written more, a lot of people bring me records and, right. because I'm known as, as that. But a lot of those, like Goodwills and what we have out in Southern California, Angel Views and stuff like that, they have buyers that they call and say, hey, we just got a record collection and come take a look at it. And you won't even see it except, except for what has already been picked over. So all the good stuff is already gone you end up with no offense to the Stephen Edies and uh, stuff like that, which which is frustrating to me. Now there are certain times that I can go in and I get it right then, or they didn't realize what they had, or whoever put it out didn't realize what they had. And I've gone through, and I've well, gone, you also, yeah, and I've gone through, and yeah, I've actually have... bought albums that were still sealed that were pressed thirty years ago because oh, yeah, for people sure. don't realize see that a lot. Yeah, they don't. They don't. You, you have to know, and that's kind of what I talk about on my podcast, is I try to give people tips of things to look for at thrift stores, as well as I talk, I talk a lot about what, what I find and how I buy storage units, what's in it and what we're doing with okay. it, um, and, and what we think we're going to get. But I also uh, put in there tips on what to look for when you're out at thrift stores or garage sales to kind of give you an idea of, hey, this is coming up in the market, or what's the difference? Why is there a mono copy and a stereo copy? What's the difference of that, and, and why is there a value difference there, and, and stuff like that. Now, you had said that you worked as a radio DJ, so yes. my question to you is how many of those records are white-label promos? Um, and for anybody that doesn't know what a white-label promo is, a white label promo is a, prom- a promotional album that was given out to DJs and radio stations and music shops before the record was released, um, so that they could hype it up. Because back then there was no internet, there was no way to get anything unless you went to your record store and you heard it playing. You said, "Hey, what's that?" Yeah, uh, what, what, what the, I, when you say it, it makes me sound so much older. But uh, it, 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 and I do have quite well, a I'm few. The same age as you. How old are you? Well, I'm I'm a little younger than you. I'm 46. I'm 53. So anyway, 
But yeah. I have. But I remember. One, I remember that. I remember record stores. Yeah. I remember white label performers. I remember all of them. So. I have one that is the prized possession that um, a general manager gave me, and it was Frank Sinatra at the Sands, and it was a um, radio program that was produced by the Westwood One Radio Studios. And I'm trying to think of the guy. He used to do um, the original dating game. But he was the host of the program. Chuck Woolery? Uh, no, before him. Before him. Before, yeah. Um, I can't think of his name. Uh, he had a, a very odd haircut and big, thick glasses. Um, I'll think of his name before the program's over. Yeah. But I have that. And it was produced as a radio program. And I have a, I have a few of those that are done that way because... People don't realize today in the world of digital, whenever um, you hear American Top 40 or if you hear any type of specialty program that's coming out of somewhere else, they are done digitally now. In the old days, you yeah. had the voice track and you had the song or whatever it is pressed on an album or even if I want to go back further on reel to reel tape. And you had these things, and you'd play them on the turntable. There'd be breaks for commercial, local commercial breaks. And then you would have to go to the end, do a station ID, flip the album over, and start all over again for the other side. So not only is it valuable for the music end, it's also valuable for the history end, because that's the way we used to provide entertainment on the radio 30 years ago. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and and that's, that's become a huge thing. Like I said... So here's an interesting story with records is because they've come back so much. Um, back in the day, Los Angeles, there was a row uh, down, it wasn't, I don't think it was Sunset, but Hollywood, that was nothing but um, record pressing plants. Mm -hmm. And that's all, that's all they did was press records. Well, when they went digital, all of those dudes that were in those pressing plants lost their jobs and because they were now dinosaurs and obsolete. But when records started coming back, like for example, if you wanted to, if you want to have a record press now in the United States, last I heard you were looking at a six to one, six month to one year wait time wow. to have a record press in the U S I think it's come back a, a little bit tighter. And obviously if you're a bigger name band, you can pull it off quicker, but a lot of people are going to Czech Republic and other places that still, because they still have record plans. Most right. of the U S ones were, were disassembled. But the interesting point to that is so some of those plants were still available, still around, so they had popped them back up and brought mm -hmm. them back into, into use. But none of the new guys knew how to use the equipment, so they started calling these old guys back and saying, hey, we really need your help. So now these guys are able to write their own checks because they're like, oh, yeah, well, if you use plant or press number four, it always runs hot, so you want to run it a couple of degrees lower, and, and they're still in effect. I mean, it still actually is exactly the same because no one has touched those machines in 20, 30 years. So it's kind of interesting that's come back around, and those guys are actually getting money for, for their skills because a lot of those producers and stuff, they say it takes you 40 years to learn how to even oh, master yeah. that and to learn how to even press a record properly. So it's, it's pretty cool. What I think is interesting, because I never thought I'd see the day, because I when I got into radio, this was in the uh, um, early 80s, we were going from 45s in albums into CDs. And that's when the transition happened, because I can remember. And even when I started working commercially for the, the one or two AMs I worked for that were mom and pop organizations, we were using the old turntables. And then all of a sudden we made the complete transition to CD and then complete transition to digital. I never thought 
I would see the day that albums would be coming back in as a consumer product in the United States. Now I can go into Walmart and I can buy 20 titles in the music section at Walmart. And I'm going, wait a minute, this is all deja vu to me because I remember when I was a kid and I could do that. Now the prices are much more expensive than when I was a kid, but still. There are some there there. And I watched, obviously I watched that market quite a bit. And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of arguments on both sides of that because a lot of, so for me being 46, my, my big music, uh, when music really became important to me, it was probably the nineties. Okay. Um, but most of the music grunge and stuff like that, most of that stuff was very, very rarely pressed on vinyl. Like, uh, Pearl Jam did it. Nirvana did it a little bit because they were trying to keep the medium still alive. Right. And, but I remember, I remember when Guns N' Roses user illusions one and two came out in 92, we went at midnight to wait in line to get to the record store, to buy it at midnight there were two lines, one for CDs and one for records. Yeah. And the one for record had like 15 or 20 people in it. And the one for CDs was around the corner, down the block, through the parking lot, across the street, into the park, down to the Burger King. And you're looking at these vinyl guys going, God, they're stupid. What are they thinking? Well, there's, it's such an obsolete dinosaur, but it sounds, and it really, really does, it does. sound so much better yes. uh, on, on vinyl. The only, but, but at the same time, I don't regret ever having done that because having been a child of that era, I remember having records and then having cassettes and saying, wait, so you're telling me I can actually take my records with me and play yes. them in a, in this thing called a Walkman? That's amazing. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you got a CD and it sounds so much better than a cassette. So you're like, well, I can take my records with me. I can do it. And then the same thing happened with, pod, with uh, iPods. So you're telling me I can take an entire jukebox of the of all the music that only I like with me wherever I go, and it's in my pocket? How are you going to pass that up? Oh yeah, exactly. Um, my uh, so, but now, no, but now people ahead. are coming in with with that to say they, they want they want the artwork, they want yeah. the tangible item, they want to see it. And again, there is a sound quality difference if you have a solid system. Um, I, I've told this story before. My father-in-law, who recently passed away uh, at the age of 93, he saw media in the beginning from 78s to 33s to 45s to, to, to real tape, to cassette, to CDs, and now to iPods. And at Christmas, when the first iPod came out, my niece got one. And I looked at him and I said, Bill, would you ever imagine that you could carry your whole record collection in your pocket? And he looked at me and he said, no, but he said, but I knew I couldn't carry that Victrola in his pocket. And he had one sitting in the living room because to him, (laughs) it was just, it was just astounding that, that you got, you got stuff that you had to, I mean, they were heavy. 78s are heavy that you would have to carry. And now you could carry the same music. Now, granted, it doesn't sound the exact same, but it was darn close. And a lot of people were willing to give up quality for the convenience and portability. Exactly, but but you didn't. But it, it was, at the time of seventy eight, you didn't even have any of that. You didn't have quality oh, no. or anything. You didn't. You didn't have anything. So the the fact that you had something to listen to and to entertain yourself with and to, and to do this stuff, the stories of, of, of the music companies going out and finding music for seventy eight is, is is phenomenal. Uh, and there's a couple of different. Um, there was a documentary on. I think it was Columbia or something where they traveled around and went down through Mississippi and they were looking for blues artists. Um, and one of the tips, so for, for people that, that resell or are looking for stuff, there's, there's 
three markets, really. 33s, which are your full albums. Yes. There are some in there that have good money. 45s are the little singles, one on each side. They're small. They play faster at 45s. Um, there are a lot of 45s in there that are, are just, a, just a filthy, filthy amount of money. Um, and then 78s, 99.9% of them are worth a buck or less if you're yeah. lucky. But, but if you find that 1%, you can pretty much write your ticket. You can you can price it at whatever you want because what happened was most of those I just mentioned the blues artists. Like a uh, good example, which was on this documentary I watched, is uh, Mississippi John Hurt was a blues artist, and I'll keep it short and simple to the story. But he had uh, they had records of he had recorded. I think I'm going to get these numbers wrong, so so don't call me out on them. But somewhere in the neighborhood of like 40 songs. So that's two songs per record. So somewhere out there, there's like 22 records. Okay. Well, World War II, they melted down all of the masters because masters are, are made on metal. They used the metal for war. Right. So there are no longer any masters. Nobody kept any, any actual physical copies. So to date, only like 20 or 22 of his songs have ever been found. Wow. So if you're at a thrift store and you happen to pick up one of those 78 that has been never never heard of again or has never been found or there's no record of it you can pretty much write your check because the record companies are going to come to you and say hey look we want that record right. because they're going to take it they're going to remaster it they're going to sell it on cassette they're going to sell it on cd they're going to sell on the record and get their money back because whoever owns that record now has rights to it it's past uh, copyright right there uh, there's 178 that i own that is <laughs> it should be framed or under lock and key, but it was uh, Rhapsody in Blue, done by the Paul Whiting Orchestra, or Paul uh, Whiteman Orchestra, I'm sorry, with the composer on piano. So in other words, Gershwin was playing on it. And it is a, yep. it's one of the cleanest versions of Rhapsody in Blue I've ever heard, and I have it. And it wasn't because yep. I went out and bought it, it was because a relative of mine had it, and they were getting rid of their record collection. <laughs> because people don't know what they have. And, and, and let me rephrase that. It's not that they don't know what they have. They don't think it has any value because they're not interested in it. And that's one of the sure. things about this. And I'm looking at my desk right now. I have cases of stuff or, or crates of stuff under my desk that I've come across and they're clean copies. There's no fingerprints on them. And they're 30 and 40 years old. If I'm lucky, I, I mean, I'd say they were played once or twice. Either they didn't like it or they forgot they had it and never played it again. Because it was just well, very interesting to see how music was being um, distributed back in those in the, that era. Yeah, and, and the thing with 78s is that I didn't really realize this until I started getting into records. And, and 78s is the last thing that I started getting into. On, on 78, most obviously most of them are Victrolas or yes. phonographs. <laughs> if you knew this, when you played that phonograph, you played that record on that phonograph, uh, you were only, that needle was only good for one play. Yes. And you bought your needles by the hundreds or the thousands. I did not know that. Thank you. Yeah, because the needle just dies so fast. They you, came in a little like, round canister. They came in a little yeah, round canister. And know. they were literally needles they weren't stylus they were needles and the, and the other thing is is that and, and when i learned this when i was in school i learned this is that the day you listened to the album the first time you played it was the best it was ever going to sound 
because the next time and the next time and the next time what happened was is every time that needle went in that groove it was cutting out just a little bit more yeah and it was wearing it's down and it was wearing it down and i'm thinking either they knew that people were going to end up buying the album again or the record again because they liked it or they would move on to something else So again, well, it's just it's just very interesting that now all of a sudden, after oh, say thirty years, vinyl's coming back in vogue. It it, it is very interesting, and there was it came out in the eighties, um, and they're trying to revive it, and they should have the technology now. In the eighties, I think it was a ten thousand uh, dollar record player, um, and they should have the ability to to bring that back and. Right. It, salvage the price but it's a, actually a laser record player so it's basically the the technology of a cd player but on vinyl so instead because if if you don't know it every time you play a record a record is a finite object so yeah. every time you play it you're doing you're doing damage mm -hmm. uh, so if you play a record over and over again unfortunately even if you have a great system and a great needle and a great turntable and it's tuned right and it's set up every as, as perfectly as possible you're still same thing. You're you're basically running a metal snowplow through <laughs> a vinyl or plastic disc, and it's just grinding away at it. Uh, so, the the idea and the concept of a digital a digital era or a laser era turntable is is very very interesting. And they say that it can actually play over and it will adjust well, for them if you have a, if you have a cut in your disc. It'll, that's it'll now that would through. that'd be awesome. Uh, you you made a comment about the the infinite and everything else. I remember my dad had a turntable that had a, a weight balanced arm on it, and you would actually act. It was like <laughs> like a scale, and you would actually balance that arm just enough. So it would touch the record to play the sound. If it was too light, it would skip across it. If it was if it was too heavy, you could see it actually weighing down on the record. And you did. It, it, you balanced it every time you played it because you were trying to save that album for the next playing. It wasn't, not that you didn't enjoy it then, but you always wanted to have one extra play out of it multiple times. If you go to radio stations, especially when they threw away their vinyl, what we call Q-Burn, in the beginning, because when you would get a record queued up to play, you would actually be scratching the record by moving it back and forth or going a turn and a half back. And that needle yeah. would keep going over the same place. And if you if yeah. you didn't do it right, you could actually burn a groove into that outer edge. And you'd have to um, either buy a new record or teach whoever was on the air how to skip past the cue burn. Yeah. I always love uh, finding radio station promos or 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 uh record store promos they're they're very interesting because of the history I, you obviously don't know the history that came with them but you know that there's right. a lot of history that goes with them um the, the white label promos command quite a bit of money if you have the right ones and the reason for that is usually and this isn't always the case but again everything i talk about is kind of usually because there's always obviously variations but um white label promos were pressed first because they were given to radio stations, given to record stores to promote the new album by Frank Sinatra, to promote the new Guns N' Roses album. So they were pressed first. And, and the reason that is key or important is a metal master for a record is also finite. It right. can only 
produce so many records and they'll have so they have what's called a mother master which is that's the one that only produced masters um master medals and then so she would produce maybe 10 children but those 10 metal children are the ones where you get your your million copies or two million copies or, or platinum copies but each one of those is finite they can only produce so many right but the first ones off the line were the white label promo so you know if you got and you can tell sometimes like if you have a really good system you can tell if you got a first pressing album that was early pressed or a first pressing album that was late pressed. Yeah. You can sometimes, if you have a very good ear and you know what you're doing. So a lot of the people search for those white label promos, knowing that most likely they were first off the press. That, that, that's, uh, that's interesting because, and those white label promos, one thing I thought was really interesting because we were always waiting for the record police to find us because they were never for sale and they could not be taken yeah. from the radio station. And, and and it's like you'd always get three or four copies of one, especially if they were trying to produce it, and depending on how you did your music rotation. Um, and unlike today, you click on a, a, a link on a computer and the music plays. Then you actually played the record on the air, on the turntable and everything else. So they would give you multiple copies. If the record did not do well in your region, you'd had, end up only using one and never using the other. There's one I have yep. somewhere in this house that I have to find is the uh, white label copy of Weird Al Yankovic's theme to his movie UHF. Got- uh, you're, you're, you're killing me right now. We just, <laughs> my, my fiance and I just saw Weird Al in Vegas. We did the meet and greet, and I had him sign my copy, my personal copy of UHF. Did you? Um, and I, I am not exaggerating, and this is amazing that you, that, that you said it's because. And when I when I took it to Weird Al, like he has handlers and stuff, and it's a meet and greet, so everybody gets something signed. I took him the the poster that because for each venue he had a different poster, so everybody got a different poster. And my fiance had that signed, and I had the UHF copy signed. And the handler took it from me. He's like, "Oh wow, I've never seen this. This is weird. I've never seen this before." And then Weird Al looks over and he's like, "Whoa!" He's like, and he flips it over and he looks around. And he's like, "Wow, it's not even cut out." He's like, "You paid good money for this." And we started talking. I was like, I actually in a record store. I said, but I did pay good money for that. I had to have that shipped over from, I think it was Korea, because it was pressed so short in the United States. But it's one of my all-time favorite albums. And then the fact that you have a promo copy or yeah. a record copy of it just roars. Yeah, I was awesome. I was a music director for an FM station in the area, and I was a big. And this was again. 80, 88, 89, and I was music director for them. And I went to the pro, I went to the, uh, the program director. And I said, "We got to put this on." They said, "Who is this?" I said, "It's Weird Al Yankovic. He has a mo- a movie coming out. It's not who he is now, and a movie coming out." And I said, "I love the song. We need to play it." We played it for about a week. It tanked. She said, "Here, just take it." And I took it, and I have it, and it and it comes in the. Um, it's a, a purple sleeve, if I remember correctly, with the UHF logo on it and a picture of him on the side standing up when he was hosting the game show with the bandages on his head. Wow. So, <laughs> uh, you, well, so all right. If you ever decide to sell that record or be too fast cash, please, please call me. I have never even heard of that record. I'll uh, have to find UHF it. soundtrack? Yeah. The UHF soundtrack that I had him signed is somewhere between, depending on the condition, anywhere between fifty and one hundred and fifty bucks. Okay, um, it is. It's really rare, and I don't I have no idea what you're talking. Like I said, I've never even. I've been buying and selling <laughs> records for years, and I'm a huge weirdo. I've never even heard of this record. Yeah, so it, it's. 
probably pretty valuable. Yeah, it's it's in one of my cases somewhere in the uh, the multitude of music and record cases that I have yeah. in the house. Everyone, you're listening to WMCK.FM and also watching us on Fayette TV Channel 77 as I'm talking with Matt Lehman here. And right now we've been talking about vinyl for about a half hour, which is kind of fun because usually I don't get this opportunity to talk vinyl. Um, what albums do you, I mean, what, what era of music are you looking for when you purchase for the store? Ooh, um, that's a good question. There's, there's several, there's several different areas that I'm looking for. Um, and it took me many years to get to a point where I was comfortable with selling online. I can tell you this, I would not buy records off of eBay um, anymore. Because, because it has become such a huge market that most people don't know how to grade a record anymore. Um, and so someone, you look at a record and they say, oh, it's in good condition, but you're dealing with sellers that have never actually played a record, so they don't know what a good-looking record looks like, and they think just because it has a scratch on it, because a CD will play with a scratch on it, so a record must play with it. So I wouldn't buy that. For the shop, personally, um, I'm looking for... My general market is anyone what has turned the record market around are teenagers. Um, they started getting into it for whatever reason. Um, a lot of my teenagers and 20-somethings come in and say that they, they're getting into records and older music, primarily 60s and 70s and 80s rock, because the music that's being produced now sucks and they don't like it. Um, so they're going back to the stuff that they've heard their parents play because yes. they kind of like it, and now they're they're going back through and, and picking up stuff that they've never heard of. Um, so I'm looking for your big name rock and roll, your, your Doors, your Pink Floyd, uh, all the way up through 80s, 90s, hair metal, um, even Beatles. Are actually, I've always been solid sellers forever. Um, they're they're real hit or miss though, like like. Their early stuff doesn't sell nearly as good as, as after they did, uh, let's say, White Album or even before with uh, Abbey Road and, and uh, Revolver. Those are their big ones. Um, their first and second albums where they're a little poppy don't sell as well. But I look for that. I look for jazz. problem with jazz is jazz is, as you know, with records, you can, records are, rock records are a lot more forgiving. Um, because if you have a lot of music in the background, skips, not skips, but like scratches and scuffs will right. play and you won't really hear it because the music will drown it out. With jazz, you're not so lucky with that. So if a jazz record, if you want to get top dollar for a mild Davis kind of blue, it better be in pretty good shape. Um, but I look for country. I personally like um, soundtracks and compilations. And I try to teach my teenagers and my younger fans that have no idea what they're looking for is to go for those compilations because uh, movies like The Big Chill or American Graffiti, those soundtracks are just They're phenomenal awesome. if you yeah. like 50s, 60s rock because they have everything that you want. Most of those bands didn't put out albums, so you're only looking for a couple songs anyway. You got the whole you got yeah. the whole shebang for five bucks on this on the soundtrack. So, um, other than that, I just started getting into 45s because, like I said, there's there really is a ton of money in 45s, but it's it's not for the faint of heart. You really have to know what you're doing. And, and because the most valuable stuff is the obscure stuff, stuff that people don't really know or was never really played a lot. Or like you said, with weird Al, it was something that played on the radio for two weeks and it didn't get a whole lot of press. So they just kind of dumped it. And, but now people are going, that's, well, you know, that was produced by so-and-so and yeah. he went on to do this and I got to have it. 
one thing that I've started collecting, and um, and it's because I'm not only collecting it for the music, I'm also collecting it for the advertising, is compilation albums that were put out, like the one I have here, by Sealy Beds, by Hires Root Beer, by uh, Lucky Strike yeah. Cigarettes, by that, and Firestone and stuff like that, where they'd actually get 10 artists from Columbia or 10 artists from... Uh, Decca Records or whoever it may be, and they put on the the top ten or top twelve songs, and they would actually sell it as a compilation, and they were promoting their product. Yeah. And I have a couple that well, were and, from and grocery stores that did the same thing. They they had to do that. That was that was that was the pinnacle of marketing at yeah. that time is to be able to get Johnny Cash to go on an album. And then, and then to put Firestone tires on the front of it, or Elvis, uh, one of Elvis's great records was uh, Flaming Star by Singer Sewing Machines. The only way you could get the album at first was to get a Singer Sewing Machine. So all of a sudden, Singer Sewing Machine sales are going through the roof because everybody wants a stupid Elvis record, but then they ended up producing it later as Flaming Star, and they just took the, the Singer Sewing Machine label off. The, uh, but that was, that was genius. I mean, that was, that was perfect marketing. The one I have in my hand right now, which I recently picked up from a uh, a thrift store, is from Matamore Super Records. Never heard of the record company before. And it was actually a promotional album for Silvican Shampoo, and it's of Edie Gourmet and Steve Lawrence. It is the most, and I haven't played it yet, so I have no idea what it sounds like, but I bought it again for the advertising. I didn't buy it for anything I'll, else. I'll- I'll trade you my Steve and Edie. I think I have a I have a Steve and Edie like vampire song, weird like uh, like horror movie Steve and Edie album or something. I'll trade you that for your UHF promo <laughs> copy. <laughs> and I also have music for everybody presented by Sealy Beds. Um, but that's what I've been that's what I've been collecting is because again people bought these. They got them as promotional albums. And they bought him at the grocery store. They got it when they bought a bed. Magnavox, when they were selling turntables, did the same thing. I have a great Sinatra album that was Magnavox that also had um, Count Basie and his orchestra on it. And again, it's stuff that we wouldn't think of. And not only that, the album art is just amazing because you don't see that type of album art or even read liner notes anymore. Yeah, it's, and, and that was that's one of the things I hear is, is, as well from teenagers at twenty something. Obviously, my generation and, and your generation, yeah. they want that. They want again. They want that tangible thing, but they want to know the line. Like they want to be able to see it and read it and feel it. Um, some of them, I'm a I'm a huge sucker for the, just the bizarre records. Like yeah. there are records that were produced, especially in, in, at the height of, of records in the '70s, that were like. Music for houseplants. Yes. Um, to help your houseplants grow better. Um, hypnosis therapy for quitting smoking and just all of these crazy, bizarre things. That you're like, what? Somebody actually bought this? This is insane. And you, you, and you listen to it, you're like, hey, it's not that bad. It's pretty cool. Uh, I have one that's like a music for Italian restaurants, and it's just completely... Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's everything that you would... For an Italian pizzeria, it's everything that you would hope that they wouldn't put on an album in today's day and age because you're like, that's slightly racist. Yeah. And they put it on and you're like, all right, it kind of works, but wow, that's that's just, uh, it's, it's rough. I came it's, it's cool. That, that's, that's my, that's my thought. I came part. across a series a while back. It was called Learning How to Tap Dance at Home. <laughs> 
and <laughs> and it was an album <laughs> nice. and they were telling you when i mean really it was explaining to you how to tap dance to the popular songs <laughs> of the 1950s i didn't buy it now i'm kicking myself and thinking i should have because that's one of those things <laughs> well, yeah, that no one could... believed that they even made that you could be you could be a tap dancing aficionado by now you could be <laughs> teaching other people how to dance tap dance well my my son is my oldest son is 19 years old and he has now caught the vinyl bug too and he loves he, he's a, a musical theater major and he loves um, show tunes and musicals and everything else well i took a picture of the album and i said i said you need this i said you need to learn how to tap dance he goes dad you've paid for lessons i don't need to learn how to tap dance i said okay point taken but if i knew they had it on album it would have been much cheaper in the long run we, but, we would have started there for yeah but no it, it is it's interesting because of how how we have changed and yet the more we change the more we stay the same and you made the comment earlier it is a different sound it's it's a much warmer it's more of a pleasant sound and honestly every once in a while you hear a, a click or a pop that's okay too uh, yeah, it depends on what you like and what you're interested in. Um, and I, again, I'm I'm getting back into this after a 25 year hiatus. Um, I've been selling records strongly for seven or eight years, uh, and it, it's been a very I don't know what uh, it's been a steep learning curve for me. But I, I spend eight to ten hours a day researching records and doing it. So you do that for five years, you can get quite an education. Yeah. But I never realized getting into it that how much you can change the sound of the same record based on the system you're playing or mm -hmm. the needle that you're playing. Like you can go and buy a, a $10 cartridge for your stereo and it sounds great, but maybe you like your, your music to be a little more bassy or maybe you like a little more high end in it. You can go buy a cartridge that will give you a, give you exactly what you're looking for. And I was, I, I'll, I'll be honest and tell you, I used to have people come in and say, oh, I've got a $400 cartridge, and I just look at them like, you're an idiot. Who yeah, would pay $400 exactly. for the cartridge? Well, as a thrill store, I, invariably, I get stuff to come through the shop all the time, and I had a $1,000 turntable come through my shop, and I was like, all right, here's your chance. Let's fire this up. I am not going to lie to you. I played some of the records that I know inside and out, backwards and forwards, that I have listened to a hundred times over. I put them on, and I didn't even recognize the record. I was like, are you kidding me? I had no idea that there was that much difference based on this teeny tiny little piece of metal that's yeah. grinding through this record group. It's insane. And, and ever since then, I now have a really expensive turntable. Not because I'm like, hey, look at my really expensive turntable, but people come in the shop and they're like, that sounds really good. I'm like, yeah, yeah it should. It does. It, it's amazing. So. So I'm, it's just interesting that you can do that. I'm looking at your website right now and you have two albums. I'm curious. You have a Peggy Lipton album, which I didn't think anybody yeah. knew who she was other than me and juicy Lucy. What the heck is that? Juicy Lucy is psych rock. Um, uh, I'm, I, you're going to, you hit me in the bullseye on that one. I'm not a psych rock guy. Okay. I, I don't, and I sell a lot of it. Um, juicy Lucy, they had a couple, one or two solid hits, but they're really well known. Um, if you're in that psych rock era, which is droning on guitars and, and when they're experimenting with different things, Pink Floyd falls into the psych mm -hmm. rock, and I'm not a huge Pink Floyd fan. Um, the Peggy Lipton, that Peggy Lipton is actually a Japanese person. Uh, she oh, really? doesn't. Yeah, and the, one of the things with records is 
when the U.S. was pressing records, the Japanese was were also pressing their own records, but they were getting, um, they were actually doing a much better job of it. They were using much better technology. Um, they were always ahead of the curve. They used much better vinyl. Um, so most of the time, if you find an English pressing or an American pressing, and then you find its sister as a Japanese pressing, the Japanese pressing is usually, geez, anywhere from five to ten times the value. That's how much higher quality it is. Oh, and people are. will pay for it all day long. And, and, the, only, the only exception to that is, unfortunately for me, I, I found a copy of uh, Beach Boys Pet Sounds, which is the most expensive Beach Boys albums generally ever produced. And it's considered one of their, obviously, greatest. It's yes. one that influenced the Beatles to change their sound. Um, and generally, that album starts at 100 bucks and goes up to 1000 depending on what it is, if it's a mono or stereo. Mm-hmm. And I found a, a pristine Japanese pressing. And you can imagine, Alex, I was like, oh, my God, this thing is going to be worth an absolute fortune. And for whatever reason, it's actually worth less. And the only record I've ever come across that was a Japanese pressing that was it's worth less. less. And I played it, and I was like, you know, it actually sounds just as good as the oh, U.S. Yeah. pressing, but I think because it's a Beach Boys Maybe, or maybe they just didn't test it as well in Japan. I didn't go deeper into it because I was so heartbroken that it wasn't worth $500. And for those of you that are trying to figure out who Peggy Lipton is, she was on Mod Squad, just to let everybody know. That's why I know who she is. But uh, she just passed <laughs> away on May 11th this past year, uh, 2019. I didn't realize oh, I didn't that. Know that. But yeah, she was on Mod Squad. I had a crush on her when I was a kid, so that's why. <laughs> I was When I saw that, I'm going, she put on- cool. Didn't she put out a couple albums? She I did. She, I think she had three. Yeah. And then you had this gunfighter ballads and trail songs from Marty Robbins. That's, that's Marty Robbins. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a highly sought after. Is it uh, really? Album. It's it's just a good. It, it really is just a. And, and Marty Robbins, you got to give him credit. I mean, he's up there with Buck Owens. Oh yeah. If you're into the country, old school country. Uh, not the stadium rocker or stadium country or anything like that, but old school country like Buck Owen. If you, if you don't know who Buck Owen and Marty Robbins are, if you, if, and you're on the opposite end of the spectrum, you listen to metal or whatever, if you've ever seen any Rob Zombie movie, you've heard of Buck Owen <laughs> yes, because Rob Zombie puts Buck Owen in all of them. Um, and Terry Reed, same thing. Um, all And people are like, who's Terry Reed? And, and you have to go through the story, but Terry Reed actually comes into my shop. He's a cool dude. He does he really? Uh, but those guys... Yeah, yeah, he's cool dude. Uh, he's the only. I, I'm not. I'm not a dude that would ever, especially like I said, I'm five miles from Coachella main stage. I have people come in during Coachella with full wristbands, and you can tell they're in bands and stuff. I'm looking at them like, don't know who you are. Sorry, you probably <laughs> should. Uh, I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and, and and Terry, my Terry story was he'd been coming in my shop for months. And he'd come in, and he's this short English fella, and he just is, is this very animated and has these crazy stories about all... He's talking about his friend Jimmy and, and all of this stuff and blah, 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 and, and uh, music and, and talking about all of these musicians. I'm like, this is cool. I just thought he was kind of like a crazy English dude. And finally, someone came in the shop, and he was there, and he laughed, and he's like, dude, that was Terry Reed. And I was like, wait, what? They're like, that was Terry Reed. And so afterward, I put it all together, and I was like, holy cow, he's talking about Jimmy Hendrix. He's talking about, uh, he's talking about Robert Plant and Jimmy Page and all this, because he was slated to, but he wasn't slated. Uh, his, that's, that's his story to tell, but uh, he had a lot of big stories with Led Zeppelin. He was originally tapped to be the lead singer of 
Led Zeppelin, but he was under contract with uh, whatever record company, so he couldn't do it. Um, so he said, hey, call my mate Robert Plant, and then Robert Plant took it. And then Robert Plant apparently, according to according to Terry Reed, Robert Plant got ticked off because he'd been done so many interviews where they're like, well, aren't you, weren't you the number two choice to be the lead singer Led Zeppelin? And apparently in a drunken interview in Rolling Stones, he's like, I wasn't number two. Terry Reed turned it down. He didn't want the gig, so I took it. And and uh, just, to, just to squelch all the rumors and the talk, and Terry's like, it really kind of hurt me because I didn't turn it down. I, I was already contracted. I couldn't do anything. And we were pretty good friends, and it kind of hurt us for a while. But that, That's, uh, that's so. interesting because Terry Reed's career probably would have skyrocketed if he would have taken that. His, yeah, but it, maybe. Um, he still has. He still tours around. He just got back from Japan. Did he? Um, and he goes to England quite a bit. Um, we, he plays out here quite a bit at all the small bars, but he still has an amazing voice. And I don't, I don't know that. I honestly don't know that he would have. Led Zeppelin would certainly not have been Led Zeppelin. Well, that's true, um, too, I guess. And I don't, I don't know that they would have. They would not have been the super band that they that they became. Um, I, I, maybe they'd have been better. Maybe they'd have been different. I don't know. It's speculation. But I, I don't know. It would have been weird. I, I don't think having known Terry is not as well, but having hung out with him and stuff, I don't know that. I don't, I don't know that he would have survived under that environment very well. Okay. Maybe. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, Matt, it, I mean, we've spent 47 minutes talking vinyl. We have not talked to anything else <laughs> on this on this program about this thrift store, uh, Finders Thrifts. Um, what are some of the um, things that you collect or do you buy for the store? Uh, again, I buy and sell storage units. So if you've ever seen the TV show Storage Wars, yeah. I go into auction. If somebody goes into arrears, um, their storage unit goes into auction and it, they open up the door. You have five minutes to look around. You can't touch anything and the highest bid wins. Um, and I've done that for off and on 20 years. That's my main bread and butter. I will also buy estates, um, meaning if someone has passed or if someone is just looking to change their life, I'll come in and buy your house lock, stock and barrel. Or if a foreclosure comes in um, and they want everything out of the house gone so they can sell it, um, then I'll come in and buy the entire estate. So I don't really necessarily have a whole lot of options as to what I'm buying other than what I see. Okay. Um, with my location, with my location, I'm much more of a tourist destination. I've become that and I've kind of built that up. So I get, because this is, I'm in La Quinta, California, which is in the Coachella Valley known for golf courses and rehab. Um, so we get a, <laughs> kind of what we do. We're, we're really good at it, and that's what we do. Well, uh, as long as you found we, your niche, that's all that's important. It's, it's important to know who you are and excel at it. That's, that's key. Uh, so we have a lot of people come in, and I have two big major hotels okay. uh, less than less than two blocks from me. And so I have to keep my shop with smalls, meaning – things that people can put in their suitcase take and take home. home with them. And that's why records have become really, really successful for me. But um, I do a little bit of everything. I mean, I've been selling online since 98. Um, and that when I opened the shop, my intention was the shop will be my overflow for what doesn't sell online. Um, and right about the time I opened the store is when, if any of your followers or any of this week, our resellers, eBay took a real dive about eight or 10 years ago, maybe right off the time I took, uh, I, I decided to open a brick and mortar. 
they started leaning towards their buyers and really, really didn't back their sellers. And it was a, it was a, it was the dark ages for eBay. So many scammers were going on. Like I had a hundred percent feedback for fifteen years, and all of a sudden. I'm getting negative, negative, negative because people are coming in with zero feedback, buying stuff, and they're trying to, to return opposite right. items and then saying you're it, – so it ended up being a mess. So I ended up switching gears and went almost full thrift store, brick and mortar, and pulled offline. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that kind of – it kind of made me change gears, and I had to, had to really, really gauge with that. But knowing that I was a tourist market, I also had – my museum, what I call my museum, really what it is, is a collection of stuff that I, you couldn't pry from my cold, dead hands if you <laughs> wanted to, that sat in my house, that I was like, you know, I have a lot of really cool stuff, but I don't really have people over to my house a whole lot. At least let me get it out there so people can see it. Okay. And and at least at least be interested in it. Uh, Shrunken Head, I have a prehistoric whale rib bone that was actually found locally. It was carbon dated. Um, to be aquatic, they said it's a little too dilapidated or a little too beat up to, to determine exactly what animal it's from. But they said it's most likely a whale. It's definitely prehistoric, carbon dating. And it was found 10 miles away. So this whole desert was at one point at the bottom of the ocean. So and that's actually... Cool. Have ignition. You actually have a picture of no, you standing there holding it, correct? On the website. Yes, that's, that's that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there's also rocket ignition keys, and those are just... I think the rocket ignition keys are probably one of my favorite things outside of the shrunken head. The shrunken head is hands down my most most favorite thing on there um but the rocket ignition keys came out of a storage unit of a guy that was in fact a rocket scientist uh and he worked for nasa and i can't remember the name of the the model number of the rockets but they're just long cylinders think of like a red bull can uh, maybe a little bit smaller okay. a little bit longer and it has has a t-valve on the top of it and basically on the bottom of it it's perforated like a coke can or a red bull can and when you twist the T, pops the perforation, and inside that cylinder is the accelerant that drops into the fuel and ignites it and, and goes crazy. It uh, gets your rocket off. And I have two of those, and they're just fantastic. They're just really cool <laughs> to know that that's, all, you need is, all you need is eight ounces of accelerant to take you to Mars, and, and you're good to go. It's just insane. Um, and, and for those of you interested, there are pictures of the rocket ignition keys on his website. Um, and website is finderstrift.com. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're there if you're interested in what he was explaining. And also the shrunken heads, which again, I think is uh, <laughs> really creepy, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> the, the shrunken head was one of the few things I purchased on my own okay. because I knew that I knew my location and I knew that I wanted to have that draw. I wanted to, I, I've always been attracted to those, those sideshow, uh, roadside attractions, yes. sideshows and stuff like that. And shrunken heads have always been one of those things that are completely and utterly misunderstood. Um, people don't understand them and don't really fully know what they are. They, first of all, shrunken head is when they shrink your head, they pull the skull out and throw it away. Um, I'm not going to go deep into it. I have, if you want to hear more about podcasts or hear more about shrunken heads and how it's done, there's an episode of my podcast that talks nothing but shrunken heads. Um, but they're, they're just such an interesting thing because to us it's morbid and creepy and disgusting. But if you went to those tribes and told them, Hey, we embalm our deceased or we cremate them they would be just as creeped out and mortified. So it's just interesting to me that different cultures have different ideas of, of what death is and, and how it should be handled. So. 
And, um, but yes, it is creepy to have a shrunken <laughs> human head in, in, in possession. And they're extremely rare. Um, she's probably one of several hundred known to exist. I say she because I was told when I purchased it that it was a woman. I have my doubts. I, I think it's actually a man, but okay. I, no DNA testing has been done on it. <laughs> So, and one more thing before you go, you mentioned that you have a podcast, which is the completely mental misadventures of a thrift store. What do you focus on, on the podcast? Again, we talk mostly about what it's me and, and one of my friends, my business partner, um, what we find in storage units. Like what, I, okay. And I, I go deep into it. I say, this is what we paid for the unit. This is why we purchased it. Um, let's go through it. And we may at some point, we've just started doing the podcast maybe a month ago. We may do a YouTube channel because I realize visual is probably more interesting. Uh, but what we found, what I think it'll sell for, um, interesting. I, I'm going to preview this and it's coming up, um, which is very interesting on the podcast. I don't think anybody's ever done it before. This Friday, I'm going to be interviewing a guy whose storage unit I bought last week. Okay. So, so it was his stuff that went into foreclosure, and uh, I bought it. And he had contacted the storage facility and asked if there were some items that he could get out of the storage unit. And I said, of course, because um, I usually tend to work with people. I, I understand that what I do kind of sucks for some people. Same time, business business it is what it is. But if somebody wants their personal possessions or if I can help them out, I'll give them as much as I can back. And I went to this guy's unit and I was like, wow, this guy actually has a really cool life from what I can tell. And I originally bought it because there was a couple of art pieces that you could see and I really was drawn to them. Turns out they're actually his art pieces. He's an artist. And so I had to kick back and forth whether or not I wanted to contact him because I also found a lot of stuff in the unit that made me think that he was an ex-Navy SEAL. Okay. Um, So... So knowing that he, that, or thinking that he's an ex-Navy SEAL, I'm thinking, if this guy is not cool, if he's angry and upset that I purchased <laughs> his entire life, he could probably find me and kill me very quickly, and, and I would not have a whole lot of, uh, of say in the matter. Um, turns out he's very cool, and I'm hoping that with the podcast, I can spin my podcast into a couple other podcasts or find a couple people that are art dealers or, or in that art world okay. that can help him get back on his feet and get his art up in there. I think he's really, really talented. That's artist. cool. So it's kind of interesting. And it and it was, I, I, I'm playing it lighthearted here, but it was a huge decision for me. I called one of my friends who's a lawyer and had him mediate it for me and even went through paperwork and everything because I didn't want... I have a business and I don't want, I don't want my business to be affected by me trying to do and unfortunately trying to do something that's right or, or help this guy out. I don't know who he is. I have no idea who he is other than what I found in the storage unit. So, but sounds like um, it's going to be an interesting podcast. It's very interesting. Like I said, I also try to give tips for people that are resellers and, and the reselling market has just blown up. I mean, I it's it's insane how many people are reselling. And I go to garage. I, I don't normally go to garage sales. I went to the first garage sale in probably years this week because there was a friend of mine who just started his own estate liquidation company. So uh-huh. I went to support him. And I was getting elbows. I was getting pushed. Uh, people are shoving and yelling <laughs> at you. That's mine. I got here first. I'm like, this is a garage sale. What's going on? And I realized all of these people are reselling and this is their business. Right. I don't, I don't know that world. I, I buy state. So 
So I try to give tips to people that are going to estate sales, what to look for that you're walking right past, like a Marantz receiver. Most people wouldn't even look at it as 70s stereo equipment, but those Marantz receivers, if you have them with the blue lights and they work, oh, yes. they almost always work because they were built to survive. Yes. Those are three to $1,000, depending on what model you have, yeah. 300 bucks starting. You can strip one for parts for 300 bucks. Wow. So That's yeah. impressive. Well, Matt, I appreciate uh, you joining me tonight. I had a good time talking vinyl. We need to do this again sometime. And I promise I will look for my uh, Weird Al Yankovic UHF uh, 45, and I will play it for you, and I will also take a photograph of it for you to prove that I do have it. Just, just to hurt me? Just to hurt me? If you say, if you ever came to me and said you can have it, I will fly out to you <laughs> so, that it, my, so that I make sure that it allows to me. That's how much of a fan I am. And, and again, how much I've never, I didn't even know existed. I will fly out there and carry it home as my personal possession on my plane so that I know that nobody outside. Well, Matt, it's time for me to go because I hear music, so we'll talk next time, and thanks again for joining me tonight online with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. That's going to wrap up a show. We'll talk to you next time here online with yours truly, Bill Alexander. become Central Ohio's most trusted team of orthopedic experts? We focus on what matters most, our patients. At Orthopedic One, we know we're only at our best when we're helping you get better. And every day, your commitment to overcoming pain and injury inspires and moves us. That's why we bring our best every day to earn your trust. Find a physician near you at orthopedicone.com. Still paying hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Let's change that. At Zenni.com, our factory direct model means no middlemen or outrageous markups. Just the same quality frames and lens options as the other guys for one-tenth the price. Zenni offers prescription glasses starting at $6.95, as well as affordable sunglasses, blue blockers, and more. The best part? Try any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Visit Zenni.com today and change the way you buy glasses forever. You made it. Checked out of office to check into the sweet views of this place where the kids aren't asking for the Wi-Fi. Mom, can we go to the pool? And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. If you're into designer furniture and you want the sofa that broke the internet, you don't have to go broke to get it. Because Designer Looks Furniture has all the same styles and trends and all the quality, but without the designer prices. Check them out. Designer Looks at Value City Furniture or designerlooks.com.